Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome back to the Statman Dave Football Podcast. It is returned. It is season two, episode one today. I'm joined by a man across the ocean, Nico underscore Omarales. That is his Twitter handle. Nico is his name. Nico, are you excited to get a chance? A chance to be in episode one of season two. I'm delighted. I'm delighted that I could make season two, episode one of the Statman Dave Football Podcast. So, wait. Well, today we've got a lot of things to go through the news. First up, of course, we always dive into news on the Statman Dave Football Podcast. Then we're going to talk a bit about uh, Neymar to PSG, as that is on everyone's lips. And then we're going to discuss the two Manchester clubs, Manchester City United. That's going into Manchester City first. Then finishing up with some United chat, we're going to go through the signings, formations, what we think prediction-wise both teams are going to accomplish over the season. Obviously, Pep Guardiola has done a lot of good work in pre-season. Same with Jose Mourinho. The side is looking a little bit better, a little bit more high-octane. But anyway... First up, let's do the news. So the thing that you can't miss today, of course, is Neymar's move to PSG, reported at around £222 million. Nico, this came out of nowhere, right? Did it? Did it completely come out of nowhere? I'm I'm really not that surprised, and I think a lot of... I, I heard your points on TF3, and I think a lot of guys that look at the game and, and sort of... Uh, from a tactical perspective, we'll say the same thing. You know, Neymar is a fantastic player. He's got some amazing stats. He's got some, he's an amazing player. Realistically, he's an amazing offensive player. But there are things that you know can deter, and maybe there is a case to be made that Barcelona can come out of this not completely unscathed, but under their new manager. Maybe it was better. You know, he's more defensive. He's going to be more about the off-ball pressing and and the things that are going to make Barcelona. A little bit different, you know, of a team as a as in comparison to the to the years past under under both Guardiola and um, and Luis Enrique. So, you know, it's a it's a surprising one. Obviously, the the transfer record has been completely smashed by you know doubling it almost, but it's it, it changes the landscape to to a very interesting degree. I'd say so. You know, one of the interesting things, I found an article yesterday that was posted on Reddit of, I think it was in October, that was basically saying PSG have been, um, you know, organizing this move for like the last three seasons. And they've been preparing this bit and so forth. But anyway, we'll talk more about that in more in depth in about five minutes. So stay tuned for that. In other news, Negredo has left Valencia on his way to uh, Besiktas, moving to Turkey. Of course, Besiktas um, are the only sort of giant team in Turkey right now with money to spend. You're thinking Fenerbahce and Galatasaray are really penalised by FFP at the moment. So it's an interesting move over there. In other news, the FA di- diving banning outline 
has been stated today, giving a two-game ban for a clear and overwhelming evidence for a player that has died. For me, this is utter rubbish. I think simulation is part of the game. It's gamesmanship. It's part of football as a whole. And for, to get someone to a two-game ban for something that isn't violent, that isn't going to injure someone, that's just part of the game, and it's the referee's decision on the pitch, they should be accountable for me. A two-game ban is ridiculous. Nico, I don't even want to listen to your rubbish on this because that's my opinions, and this is the Statman Day Football Podcast. We don't hear any of your rubbish about diving. <laughs> I actually think it's not that bad of a rule. Maybe a two-game ban is a little... Um over the top, I, I think I've said in the past that I would like to see maybe, you know, hit hit the players where it really matters, not necessarily the teams, but because then why, you know. In the nuts. That's exactly Not it, in the nuts. I'm, I'm talking saying. about in the wallet. You know, hit them with a, a more financial penalizations for blatant diving, you know, rep, retrospective um, uh, penalizations, you know, monetarily. Two games is, is, is a very harsh one, but I think, you know, if you're looking to completely take diving out of the game, however you want to look at it, that's the most effective way to do that. So I think you and I differ a little bit on the opinion of how they're doing it, but but I, I like it. I want to see less diving. I want to see more diving. I want to see more tactical fouls. I want to see more yellow cards for Busquets pulling down someone on the counter attack. I want to see more of that type of thing because that is a tactical weapon that should still be used in the modern day. In other news, Liverpool's interest in uh, Virgil van Dijk continues. Um, Virgil van Dijk didn't travel with the Southampton squad on their you know, tour. I think they went to France or something like that to play some friendlies. Virgil van Dijk didn't stay there. Of course, with all this news about Neymar... Coutinho could follow to Barcelona or even to PSG. Maybe they'll get some even more cash to pay for Virgil, but a decent defender, but again, way really over the price. And the last bit of news before we dive into the Neymar to PSG chat is mission complete, Nico. Roma have sent Francesco Totti's final shirt that he had as a player into space. That's great, right? Wow. I had no idea. I didn't I hadn't even seen that on the on the running order, why would they? Why would they send it into space? I'm really wondering. I think they go. They want it to last forever. They want the aliens. The first, you know, the first time that humans meet aliens or people of, uh, you know, similar type of, you know, humanoid or whatever. Mm-hmm. They want Francesco Totti to be the first footballer that's recognised. Maybe they'll all be Totti fans. Maybe they'll come back and they'll support Roma. Yeah, it could be interesting anyway. Anyway, let's move on from that absolute tosh that I was chatting there. It's time to talk the three talking points. And first up. It is Neymar to PSG. It is the. It will be the end of MSN. Neymar, Suarez, and Messi. But for two hundred and twenty million euros, that is crazy money, right, Nico? That is ridiculous money. The game is gone. Just kidding. Um, no, I mean <laughs> it's the it's the market. It is what it is. That's really what you're going to have to pay. You know, we're talking about a top three to top five player in the world right now. Not only that, but I, I think something that people don't really take into account for a lot of these transfer fees is. You know, Neymar is an extremely marketable player. He's a young man. He's the face of Nike. You know, they have, you know, Paul Pogba is arguably the face of Adidas right now. Um, but in terms of the face of Nike, you know, they've given him his own, you know, hypervenom a couple times. Now they've given him his own vapor. So he he's going to sell shirts. He's going to give you those performances. Like you said earlier, I don't. I don't disbelieve that PSG have been planning this sort of swoop for him for a long time because this is their goal. This is why the group that took over PSG want to win the Champions League. They've won Liga five times in a row. Fine, they lost it this season. I think they have the coach in place to do that. Obviously, they put in a fantastic performance against Barcelona in the first leg last season. They just needed to finish it off in the second leg. But adding someone like Neymar, refining the qualities, you know, 
moving that transition from a from a Laurent Blanc PSG to an Unai Emery PSG team, adding Neymar. I mean, it's really really difficult to look past PSG for for this year's Champions League. I mean, it's an incredible move, and I think one that that like I said, it's really going to change the landscape. Very interesting. Again, it's it's crazy. You think in the Paul Pogba deal for 89 million quid is it seems like a bit of a bargain now in this day and age after this transfer again I think it's going to ruin fees all round I think the the domino effect I spoke about before Coutinho may move on there's a whole host of players that we'll talk about a little bit later on but it just seems mental absolutely mental for that 222 million euros you could have bought a few things first up we'll talk players you could have bought two Pogba's three Zidane's four Buffon's or five Ronaldo's. That's the Brazilian Ronaldo, the guy that was absolutely credible at scoring goals. But in terms of real stuff that you could buy for that 222 million euros, you could buy some real things as well. We're talking 428 flats in central London, 1,009 Lamborghini Huracans. Don't know what the car that is, but it, you know, it came up on Google. Or potentially, if you wanted to go crazy with iPhone 7s, you could get 343,653 iPhone 7s or... If you're big onto your chocolate, you could get 888 million Freddos. Nico, do you know what a Freddo is? No, as I just said, I have. What the hell is a Fredo? <laughs> so a Freddo, to be precise, is a oh, yeah. is a little chocolate bar that mm-hmm. used to be 10p, um, used to be a good value at 10p, and it's now inflated up to around 25p. But a solid little chocolate bar to get you through a day. Is it a frog? Anyway, That's what I'm it's saying. It's a little on, frog, on yeah, a little frog. Have you googled it? But anyway, I've if you wanted to, it, yeah. you know, if you wanted a Freddo, Nico, when you come to London, I'll buy you a Freddo. You can, you know, you can cash that in later on. But Nico, in your, you know, humble opinion, would you say that this year, in terms of Neymar's performances, has warranted this fee of 222 million? Euros. Yeah, I would say yeah. I would yeah. I would definitely say that that Neymar is you know how how can you really? I, I guess it depends on how you rationalize things and how you talk about you know is he worth the two hundred twenty two million? Like I mentioned before, he has a marketable asset about him, so he's going to bring that to PSG. But then also, I think this is this is a player that's had the ability to go to Barcelona and learn under the greatest player of all time. And he might be the, he might, Neymar might never come close to, to Lionel Messi standards. I don't think he will. I don't think we're going to see a player that's as good as Lionel Messi for a long, long time, if ever again. But in terms of coming close to that, in terms of that mercurial, mercurial, sorry, ability to, you know, as cliche as it sounds, take the game by the scruff of the neck like he did against PSG when his team needed him the most. You know, I don't like Neymar that much. I don't like the style of play that much. I think a lot of tactical guys don't because the nature of his game is take-ons, which are like low percentage things regardless. But, you know, he steps up. When when the team needs him, he does like to have a go at, at the other team and, and he does try things. And I think... If you're going, if you're going to try to win the biggest, the biggest prize in, in club football, then you need a player like that. You need, um, you, or if you want to ensure that you win it, you need a player like Neymar. So, in terms of the, the monetary value, I know people are going to get hung up on the 222 million, but I think, given you know that that's really what you have to pay for someone like him, I think you you got your money's worth. <laughs> I think it's it's absolutely crazy, um, and I just I just don't know whether. It, you know, it, I just can't comprehend that amount of money in real terms. I think that's the thing. It's it's a crazy amount of money. It could change, like, towns. It could change cities. It could change countries. 
and that could impact millions and millions of people but we're seeing it on one football it's you know this weird situation that we live in right now but you know you mentioned that PSG game it was absolutely fantastic won the penalty um, that Messi scored to make it 3-1 was fouled then banged in a free kick that was ah, just into the top corner you know unsavable scored the fifth from the spot and then assisted the the last goal with just an unbelievable bit of bit of skill uh, fainting past uh, an onrushing attacker and then chipping it with his weaker foot to Roberto to you know to bang in the back of the net and Barcelona to take the lead and, and go on to win the tie but in terms of stats this season in La Liga he created the most chances of any player he grabbed the most assists in the Champions League his season by numbers is pretty decent as well played 3,972 minutes was directly involved in a goal every 97 minutes getting 21 assists and scoring 20 goals but Nico the big question is where would he fit in at PSG that's a difficult thing right because they've just recently brought in Julian Draxler who's fit in really well on that sort of left wing and this is really the the first place that we've seen because Julian Draxler Draxler has been on the radar for a number of years now it's just he hasn't really fit into a place quite as well as he has you know at PSG but that, that's the difficulty is that you I think you have to play Neymar on the left that's his best position he does like to cut inside and with someone like Kurzawa overlapping you know you have a brilliant uh, dynamic there and and possibly you know Blaise Mat- Matuidi likes to come forward so that relationship between those three players in a 4-3-3 system could be exceptional but then where do you put Draxler you could possibly put him through the middle you could put him on the right so um, it's going to be interesting to see how someone like Unai Emery who at you know in his time at Sevilla was maybe a little bit more defensively focused you know about the, the off-ball pressing like I mentioned and it's something that you've mentioned as well which is you know one of the things that has brought this lack of success to Barcelona over the past couple of years, despite them having, you know, the greatest attacking, you know, attacking line in, in, you know, football history is the fact that Neymar and possibly some of the other forwards have shirked their defensive responsibilities. So it's going to be interesting to see how someone like Unai Emery not only balances that from a tactical perspective, but also balances that from a personal perspective, you know, dealing with that caliber of player. He wasn't dealing with that type when he was at Sevilla. He was dealing with 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 players that he was getting more than people saw out of them whereas now he's at, he's at that top club so he's dealing with these these bigger egos and these players that you know have these these almost chips on their shoulders so it's going to be interesting to see if uh see what they do there 100% again going back to the sort of severe example you think of all the strikers that he went through that came to the club with not tarnished records but they needed to perform there and he did get the you know the extra out of them other places that he could potentially play as a number 10 we saw him play that role for Brazil uh, he's sort of giving the freedom to drift around and I am he does like the 4-2-3-1 will he go back to that I don't really know I think this 4-3-3 is kind of ingrained into PSG and you do mention that uh, you know Kazawa the overlap there would be perfect but also Blaise Matuidi thinking how the shape could evolve if they were playing a 4-3-3 it would be um, sort of the other way around to Barca when they won the Champions League in um, 14-15 where it rocked around Neymar became the left winger and then Rakitic went out to right mid and then they broke into a 4-4-2 in defence that could work with Matuidi coming over to the left wing he's very very good at doing that shuttling role but again it's can um Emery get that other winger to defend and that's the problem that was the problem with Neymar in the Champions League in the last two seasons is he stopped defending the season they won it and he was brilliant what scored 10 goals joint top scorer scored the most in the knockout stages was just scored crucial goals for Barcelona was always on the end of the you know a messy pass or a Iniesta through ball but he just forgot that he, he's got to do his defensive work and if that attitude continues with him you're thinking Julian Traxler who's had a wonderful season for PSG and really exploded since his move like is he going to be able to want to defend is Angel Di Maria going to want to defend Lucas Moura does defend but you know how far down the picking line is he now it's kind of like what does 
Emery do to his attack I think is the biggest problem I think his midfield will, will eventually sort itself out I think it's signing Danny Alves you know defensively that'll help out maybe even Danny Alves is a right winger what do you think of that Nico so maybe a, a 4-3-3 as Alves is one of the as the right attacker and Neymar as a left attacker Cavani through the middle that would that would really work in terms of balance because like you know you and I have touched on a, a, a number of times is that a lot of people think Danny Alves is still a right back he's more of a a right winger that comes back and plays, you know, a more defensive role at times. You know, he gives that dynamic. But in terms of being lopsided and maybe accentuating some side of the attack, you know, you could have the complete, you know, attacking mindedness of like, like you said, Matuidi, Kurzawa, and Neymar on the left, and then really solid defensively with someone like Serge Aurier and, and Danny Alves and, and somebody else on in midfield on the right, maybe Rabiot or someone like that. So you could have the, like, this like really lopsided formation where they can, you know, do different things with the overloads and positioning. So I, I think I'm, you know, League One is going to be really exciting to, to watch next season, regardless. But now that Neymar's there, I mean, tune in, folks. Mm, definitely looking uh, Bielsa's there uh, your Marseille are in resurgence of course Lucien we know Favre. Monaco doing yeah. Lucien Favre's there like, that's going to be absolutely insane and probably be the uh, league I may watch the most in a way I quite like Serie A though Serie A's going to also Serie be an absolute great. banger yeah. but we'll probably talk about you know top leagues to watch later on uh, but PSG are going to look very very tasty could you see Cavani maybe falling out of favour uh, Neymar playing as a false nine as a, as a striker Nico? I don't think so. I think, like you said, the the four through three is very um, ingrained in PSG's. So you know the way that they've structured their squad, and I think the the players are most comfortable playing a system that's e- either that or similar to that. And I think, despite all the the you know the the shit that Cavani gets for not finishing chances, I think it's similar to Ibrahimovic in a sense where he actually does finish exceptionally well, and he's an exceptional finisher. He he's differentiated himself. Uh, statistically amongst the the rest of the strikers in Europe over the past 10 years and that's that's a consistent record so it's not you know a bolt out of the blue or a season out of the blue it's he's a very good striker consistently so I I think with Neymar sort of taking some of the attention on the left and then whoever they put on the right and all the the attacking influence they'll have I think actually Cavani could have one of his best seasons for a goal Mm, I agree Cavani is one of those strikers he's like a Bemiang you just have to create him like 10 chances in a game and he'll score twice or three times you know it's that consistency it's not like a clinical movement movement, excellent really really good I imagine you know not watching football you know I grew up watching United and whatever but I don't have the same analytical view on someone like Andy Cole but he was almost he was always described as a player for me that was in the right place at the right time but didn't take his chances so his movement was spot on like the likes of Aubameyang like the likes of Cavani but he just didn't he wasn't clinical in front of goal and got a bit of stick for that so it's quite interesting how strikers do come back and revolve again and, and, and so forth and they are you know Edison Cavani's a top player and I imagine with Neymar on the left wing to, again like you mentioned taking the attention away I think that's what Cavani needs in a way he needs to you know take a bit of a step back and then you know come out of nowhere and people forget about um, him anyway but also, let's move to, on sorry sorry oh, to interrupt yeah. you, but just to speak Go. to his credit you know he this is a, a striker and you know we we talk about the the build and the the athleticism of players in the modern game and how fluid they are in positions but i mean i think most of us see cavani as especially in a four through three as that central focal point you know he's not the quickest he is quick but he operated as like a left winger under Laurent Blanc a lot of the time, which is such a weird position. And he still did okay. So to have that, you know, being played out of position, now he has more experience on the on you know in wide areas. And I, I just think you know Edison Cavani is really underappreciated. So, so, sort of similar to Gonzalo Higuain. Like the, these guys are excellent. I think he'll do exceptionally well with Neymar. 
Mm, I think the thing with um, Iguain and Cavani, just that quick comparison, Iguain is your clinical guy that that won't get that many chances. You know, won't open himself up that much with movement. But you know, if the ball gets to his feet and he, in and around the penalty area, he's probably going to score a goal, which is pretty nuts. Anyway, let's so PSG, uh, PSG, and they will go on to uh, battle Monaco for the title. It's going to be so interesting if you you didn't catch the I think I can't is it the Coupe the Champions, the mm-hmm. Champions of the yeah. League versus sorry the Champions of the Cup versus the Liga Champions. It was a really good game. Um, PSG coming out on top in that game but a player that you're going to see a lot more in this Monaco team a guy that's going to be the creative guy Yori Tilsman grabbed a cracking assist um, for a Sidibe goal it was actually like a bit of a bounce pass where he was a little bit stationed a little bit deeper and played a great ball through to the wing back Sidibe looked fantastic and scored a great goal but again it's going to be the the evolution Bernardo Silva obviously has joined Manchester City we'll talk about him a bit later on but that creative hub in this Monaco team Need someone to step up, and it will be Yuri Tilsman. But Liga is going to be great. But anyway, let's let's move to La Liga. What is next for Barcelona? What do you think they've got to do to um, you know regain their position at the top of the European game, Nico? It's a it's a difficult one because you could say you know you could go down one route and say you could play the formation that won the Champions League this season or at least won the final, which is that four four two diamond, right? You have the players to do that. You can play Luis Suarez up top, maybe not with Messi, but with someone like Paco Caser or possibly even Rafinha. Um, or or a more, more mobile player to play up front and, and connect the passes and whatnot because I think like you you and I have talked about many times it's messy at ten is is just absolutely brilliant but mm. I think they don't necessarily have the wide players to do that we've seen Alex Vidal who someone that Luis Enrique bought hasn't seen very much playtime if at all at Barcelona and you kind of need athleticism in those areas and Jordi Alba is getting on in age so. It's going to be difficult to see where they go. I'm excited to see defensively and and sort of modern pressing-wise how Valverde balances that with the players that he has now. Um, but I think it's a, it's an area of transition for Barcelona. You know, Busquets is getting up there in age. They still have Iniesta, who's playing consistently, but they don't really have the replacement. So a lot of these key guys are moving on in these positions and they haven't really done much to, to, to see the replacement. So I'm, I'm personally, I'm not exactly sure where they could go, but one thing's for sure is that they need to, they need, you can't keep depending on Iniesta. You know, he's, he's held that team up for so long that you, you need that creator. And you also need someone like Busquets. You know, you look at replacements, possibly William Carvalho, but more realistically, Julian Weigel is, is the perfect uh, replacement in that sense. But how difficult is, is it to get those guys? And with another, you know, another question that comes up with this Neymar thing, $222 million, great. Now, how do you spend it? Do you go out and get Usman Dembele? Do you have that creation on the right? You know, he's definitely one of the most exciting young players that's in a similar mold to a traditional winger like Neymar was or at least one that can create things from wide areas. But how, how do they spend this money? I think it's, it's a good point. I think um, you're forgetting Nelson Semedo. They signed from Benfica oh, yeah. right back. He, he's going to be just fantastic. Odd. Yeah, yeah that's, that's you know, one of the signings of the summer, 30 million euros for Nelson Semedo. You must be mad. Like, this is the crazy thing. Like City were looking for a fullback, right? They spent 50 million on Carl Walker. Honestly, Nelson Semedo has a higher ceiling than Carl Walker and will be a better player. But again, it's yeah. this weird introverted Premier League. So on that right back, I think they've got good cover there. I think, as you mentioned, it is the question on Andres Iniesta's fitness. 
uh, whether Valdeverdi will um, go with Rakitic. I think he will. I think Rakitic is the perfect Valdeverdi player in central midfield. Um, but it is kind of finding a stopgap for Andres Iniesta and, you know, and kind of getting of how long can he play for. And, it, you know, another big one is bringing players through their academy. It's something that they've not really done well enough. You think Real Madrid, how well they've created this B team. Um, I keep talking about with, you know, the, the likes of Isco was playing in the B team for quite a bit of last season. But the B team they've created with these young players is pr- pretty pretty incredible. And with Llorente coming back um, from, where was he? I can't remember who he was. Somewhere in Spain, in the Liga. Just Marcos chilling. Llorente. Yeah, who, where, which club was he at? Yeah, uh, it might have been Espanol. It? No, that was Denis Ceballos. It was the new Maurizio Pellegrini's um, old club. Alaves. Alaves. I think he was at Alaves, yeah. I think. Let's double check that just in case we're wrong. But Denis Ceballos looks looks a real talent as well. I think also to speak to sort of the midfield problems and, and the things that I think also relate to PSG and you're talking about Tolisso and some of these guys, I think... The, the most productive midfielder and, and we're seeing different roles pop up within the modern game that's you know because the game has changed so much over the past 20 years is you need a player that's going to progress the ball from those deeper areas those ball progression stats as well as you look at someone like Danny Ceballos and, and possibly Tolisso as well that receives the ball sort of right in front of the back four in between the lines and turns and can make can make things happen I think Iniesta has played that role as well as the progression role for so long that his creation from there, although it hasn't directly appeared in you know the concrete statistics of key passes or even you know assists or anything like that, that that role that he plays in in linking that midfield is so important, and so they've leaned upon that. But you know it's time to 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 get a, a guy that can do a similar job, and it, it's really difficult to find quality players and that can do that you know exceptionally well. That's why they go for so much money. Mm, I think that's a big thing. Again, Barcelona, I think with uh, one thing they've got to do is Messi has to become the fulcrum of the side. I think whether they play diamond or they play uh, whatever system, it's going to have to be Lionel Messi off Luis Suarez. I think that worked really well. Um, in the back end of the season when they, they, they played PSG, they played a sort of 3-6-1 with Messi behind Suarez, a midfield um, five in a way of Busquets holding Rakitic and yes, the Neymar on the left, Rafinha on the right, and the back three of uh, Umtiti, Pique and Mascarano. I think that could really work well getting Messi as a sort of number 10, be it in a you know a 4-2-3-1, be it in a uh, 4-4-2 diamond as you alluded to before, which could really work for Barcelona owner in terms of a change of of system you know do you making those slight a, do you tweets think there's works. a possibility that also because you said you know mttpk and mascherano you know if you if you if you counter down the sides especially in a, a competition like the champions league playing someone like united you know you can really fall prey to the sort of the the latter stages of jurgen klopp's reign at um at dortmund where you can expose those center backs in wide areas you know that's a difficulty that they might face Mm, I think they they will do that if they you know they do play a back three or they do play a narrow four four two diamond you know you're talking the fullbacks going forward Busquets dropping in between PK and MTT I'd say MTT's fine at doing that I think MTT's great at covering ground um, you know very very quick strong physical has played left back in his career so I think that would kind of work but uh, again like you mentioned Gerard PK could be something that may not quite work in that system but I think he would work I think defensively when Barcelona are at the top PK's always at the top you know it doesn't matter what season he's had a few seasons where he's been off and then he's been re- you know best centre back in the world again so it's going to be an interesting one um, but in terms of signings let's talk signings Nico uh, who do you think they're going to go for There's the players have been linked with Dybala Mbappe Anton Griezmann you mentioned Usman Dembele before Philip Coutinho who do you think fits in this new Barcelona team is there any players I've not mentioned there that you'd like to see that's the thing is that I, I'm really not sure I think it's more about central midfielders I think 
if they can if they could have worked out a way to get someone like Marco Verratti who I see you know a similar ilk to someone like Xavi or Iniesta that would have been great for them and and you know maybe they lose Neymar but they get that really good central fulcrum that can that can make things happen but I think Dybala is a weird one if especially if you're going to play Messi in midfield maybe someone like him and Suarez can play up top in a two but at the same time I don't know if that really works in that way so I think it's really for me more about the midfielders but in terms of suggestions I mean you have to look at one of the biggest mistakes that I think they made which was losing someone like Thiago Alcantara who's looks looks like he's going to spend the rest of his days at, at Bayern Munich because of how happy he is and the respect the club showed him in, in his year of injury. But someone like him would, would fit in absolutely fantastic, you know, at, at Barcelona, especially currently. It's an interesting one. It really is uh, like letting one of these stars go again. I think that's bad management from, from the club. Again, something that maybe hasn't really been touched on, but you think in the Neymar buyout was set at 222 million euros. That was That was a year ago. Technically, if you're in that position to calculate inflation and so forth, you should probably have a good gauge of where the market's going to go next in terms of if Pogba's been signed for 89 million that summer, you know, double that, triple that, quadruple that, that might happen of how the market's going. So, you know, one thing that you could bring up on that is the Ronaldo buyout is at a billion pounds. That's a smart buyout. PSG aren't going to play a billion pounds, but maybe, you know, setting it at 222 million with Neymar was some bad management from the Barcelona board. It was reported today that they've made, they've spent over 200 million on Neymar in terms of paying fines, in terms of wages, in terms of transfer. So they're only making 23 million euros, which is crazy for a player of that quality. But in terms of signings, um, I think Antoine Griezmann would be number one if I was, um, you know, the head of the Barcelona board. Obviously, he said he doesn't want to leave, but is Barcelona a different opportunity than Manchester United? Is that somewhere where you could comfortably go in? Yes, he'd be perfect to play in that 4-4-2 diamond we spoke about before. Suarez is comfortable at drifting wide, so is Griezmann. Um, Messi, with someone like Griezmann ahead of him, that pace that Griezmann's got and acceleration would be absolutely unbelievable. Similar with Mbappe, a similar thing there. Mbappe likes to drift into the channels, start central, but is it a move too soon for him? Should he stay at Monaco? Yes. Maybe Dybala. They, you know, they've spoke about how they want to get Dybala, but again, it's that left-footed Argentinian attacker. They've already got Messi. It would quite work again in the same system. Um, but if you were to play a 4-3-3, you know, is Dybala going to work on the left-hand side? Probably not. So it's, it's really interesting that it's got to be a player that works in the system. Dembele is going to play on the right. Messi's playing on the right at the moment. Where does Dembele fit in? I think someone that does actually make sense in a way, if you know, if he can continue his good form of last season and the season before when he played in a 4-4-2 diamond is Coutinho. Someone that actually would make sense to go in and replace Andres Iniesta if they feel that he can step up. You know, there was talk that he may follow uh, Neymar to PSG. I think there's the, could... there's the question there that that I think you're, you're gonna you're gonna answer. But how do you play him? Do you play him as an as an inside forward, sort of in the left wing, cutting inside, which I don't think is his best position, or do you play him as a midfielder? Like I said, you know, in between those lines, receiving the ball and then creating that pass. I actually think that. There are players that are better that they that Barcelona could go and get that are better at doing that than than Philip Coutinho. I think our our judgment of Philip Coutinho is is largely biased in the sense that you know he's that Brazilian. He's he's done great things at Liverpool to some extent, but maybe someone like Christian Eriksen would fit in at 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 uh, Barcelona. What do you think about that? 
I was actually about to bring up Christian Eriksen. <laughs> wow, Nico, our minds work the same. We're basically telepathic. But yeah, I do think Coutinho, we are a little bit biased. I think the injury problem is something that Barcelona wouldn't want, given that the reason why they're replacing Andres Iniesta is because his knees are a bit crocked. But mm. someone like Christian Eriksen, I think is this is the perfect time. You know, I saw him as a very inconsistent 22-year-old playing against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Wasn't very impressed. I was more impressed that night by Semi Diong, how different their careers have gone. Um, but in terms of what he could do at... At Barca, you know, he could change this system up and they could go with a 4-2-3-1. Maybe, you know, they do sign another left winger. They get someone like Dembele. They play Dembele on the left. They play Eriksen as a number 10 and they play Messi on the right. Suarez in the middle. That could work very well. Again, defensively, probably wouldn't be what Valdeverde wants. Or Eriksen could play on the left, could play on the right. I think Eriksen's really shown over the last few seasons that he's really evolving his game and he's very smart football and a very Barcelona-esque football. If you traditionally think of what Barcelona players have, the flair, the ability on the ball, the ability to play that pass, that's what Christian Eriksen can do. So I think it would be a, it'd be a cracking acquisition um, if they went for Ericsson. I think it would be you know be expensive, but they have the money to do that. Um, and you know you, the classic Ajax to Barca link has always been there. So could be a very good suggestion, Nico. Um, I'm, I like that we we thought the same thing there in terms of player recruitment. But again, my ide- ideal situation for Barcelona would be the the four four two diamond to Stegen in goal, uh, Nelson Semedo right back, PK Mtiti, Albert left back. Um, then Busquets, Rakitic in midfield, Coutinho, Messi, Dybala and Suarez. That would be a great team to watch. But maybe throw in a bit of uh, Christian Eriksen in there, Nico. What do you reckon? I think the another point about Christian Eriksen is that if we're talking about in terms, you know, through the lens of someone like Valverde, then Christian Eriksen fits in even better because, like I said, it's, a, it's about point. that off-ball movement. It's about that off-ball defensive pressure. And Christian Eriksen has done that for seasons under Mauricio Pochettino. I think not enough is attributed to him in terms of how he presses. A lot of the time in these pressing systems under Jurgen Klopp or Pochettino or these other, you know, perhaps Yardim to some extent, people look at certain players like they're exempt from the pressing actions. But but no, they actually influence. They work as hard as everyone else. They just have different roles. And Christian Eriksen is a is an exceptionally gifted footballer. And like you said, he's very smart. So he could inf- he could fit in much better than someone like Philippe Coutinho. But at the same time, I think since we are talking about transfers, we have to talk about all the dynamics of the transfer. And that in in that sense, the market the marketability of bringing in someone like Coutinho, who's Brazilian. You know, they have had their it's the it's you know the prototypical player that is more marketable to the Barcelona aspect. I mean, what, what do you, how much do you think that weighs on... Because realistically, you know, there's not that much of a difference between the two, but I think Christian Eriksen is the better fit. Yeah, I think that marketability and that shouldn't take no influence on a transfer. That's my personal opinion. That would be the opinion if I were managing a club and a board came to me with, with that. Oh, it's, it's who fits the team best, who's going to win league titles, therefore will sell more shirts. I just had a thought, Nico. You just had a there's thought. There's a certain Swedish player... Mm. at Manchester United mm. that's training at the moment that's on a free transfer Valdeverde likes his big players <laughs> he likes his Aradiz he likes his Raul Garcias is Latan going to make a return to the new camp I don't think so Dave I don't think anybody besides LA Galaxy will be taking a chance on Zlatan's crap knee excuse me <laughs> I've got a crap knee and I can still play football sometimes but anyway moving Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Gone uh, to some more Zlatan Ibrahimovic related stuff. We're going to talk about Manchester now. A City United. That was the banner that was uh, put up by Manchester United after winning the Europa League. Um, a great uh, situation for United getting into the Champions League. One bit of news that's come out after that, though, Phil Jones apparently has been suspended for two European games following uh, verbally abusing a UEFA anti-doping officer at the Europa League final who basically pulled him to do his tests as Manchester United were taking that picture, something that is just absolutely ridiculous. And again, UEFA in a situation where they should think about being more human and, and looking at the bigger picture, you know, a tragedy, tragedy that's just happened in, in their city. Come on, you can do it 10 minutes later or you can do it like, a, you know, an hour later or whatever. You may get hammered by your boss or whatever. You may miss a window to, to, to you know, get the, the doping fully tested. But at the same time, like, come on, there's bigger things in football sometimes. But anyway, first up, let's talk about Manchester City, who for me have looked very, 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 very good in pre-season and arguably favourites for the Premier League title right now for me. City had a number of issues going into the window. Their fullbacks were too old. They had still had two dodgy keepers and they just didn't know how to sort out their defence. It looked a little bit better on the back end of the season with Vincent Kompany coming back. Nico, uh, are you happy with how the, the off-season's gone for Manchester City and Pep Guardiola's side? Yeah, I think I've gotten a lot of what I asked for, which was more, you know, not necessarily defensive reinforcements, but the, the need for fullbacks was necessary. And I think it was actually, you know, not though not everything that the, you know, people in the analytics community, the statics, the statistics community, sorry, um, is perfect because, you know, it is flawed, just like things within the tactics community. They, they trade off. Um, we can see there's a, there's a trend line between expected goals conceded and expected goals created. And Manchester City were constantly on the up last season. You know, the attack was just getting better and better and better. And the defense, as the, as the season went on, was, was getting better as well. So I think adding to that, you know, Mendy and, and Walker and Danilo, these guys aren't just defensive signings. They're not just signings to supposedly shore up the, the defense. They're, they're signings to... I think some of the analysis that you've talked to me about is, you know, the the, the static nature of someone like Gal Kalishi or Bakary Sanya or Pablo Zabaleta in the final third last season. You know, those players freezing up in those areas and not moving to the correct spaces or not providing a certain outlet for a pass were as responsible or as culpable in creating high fidelity chances for teams on the counter or teams that wanted to be more direct as, you know, some some shoddy defending. So I think athleticism was needed, but also intelligence. And that's what I'm excited to see out of a lot of these players. And um, just to speak to, to some of the other signings, you know, Bernardo Silva is someone that I've written upon. And I think 
he's he's gonna be spectacular at Manchester City. He didn't, you know, he he showed what he can do. Actually, ironically, against Manchester City in the, in the Champions League last season. Oh, and, and how you know, dynamic for, for, for he can some be. people. For some people, Nico, the people like myself watch Marseille under Bielsa and were exceedingly impressed by him then. But you know, go on. <laughs> um, and and you know, Bernardo Silva is one of those players that can create. You know just fantastic magical football I might even say from the middle of the pitch and so I'm really really excited to see what someone like Bernardo Silva someone how someone like him develops under Guardiola um, because I think they're they're actually building something really special at Manchester City and I'm glad that I get to witness it I think Silva's an interesting one I don't think Silva I think Silva's a Guardiola signing that and I, I, I say that in Guardiola makes strange signings sometimes you think about City's attack is so stacked. City's attacking midfield is so stacked. Why are you bringing another attacking midfielder? I just don't. I don't understand that. It was similar to what Bayern Munich, where he just bought loads of central midfielders, and he ended up being like, "Who's my best choice midfield?" And then he ended up not knowing what that was, and that really made Bayern suffer in the long run. So I think Silva's a wonderful player. I think Silva was one of the best players in the Champions League, one of the best players for Monaco. You know, so good coming off that right flank and creating, um, you know, being moving into the attacking midfield and playing through balls and dictating the play. The game you mentioned against Manchester City, Bernardo Silva were more tackles than anyone on the pitch um, in the first half of that game. And it was incredible to see a player that technically is so good, is so good on the ball, great vision, but works hard. And yes, maybe that's why Guardiola wants him. But again, how many attackers do you have? It, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and I, but I also think at the same time, one thing that is consistent with I think both the transfer or the transfer from both Manchester teams is that the both Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho know that they need multiple solutions or multiple. Um, you know, go-to formations and go-to systems that they can they can have and to to solve multiple problems that they'll have over the season. You know, they're they're, they're planning for absolutely everything, and I think Bernardo Silva is one of, is one of those things. You know, we could see a four-three-three, we could see a three-two-five, we could see a three-five-two from both Manchester City or both Manchester teams. Sorry. So, you know, moving on to, to Manchester United, I have a question for you. I know that a lot of the analysis, and this is something I spoke about earlier this week is that you know the signing of Nemanja Matic is going to free up someone like Pogba but my from my perspective if they wanted to free up Paul Pogba to affer- you know to further him in midfield they could have just done that last year you know they had some of the pieces and maybe it w- wouldn't have been as good you know Nemanja Matic is a fantastic defensive midfielder and he's a really good holding midfielder but realistically if they wanted to play Pogba further up the field they could have done that last season how do you, you know, realistically see Matic playing? Is it a three-man midfield with someone like, you know, him and Herrera and Pogba sort of in that three-man midfield role, or, or how do you see it playing out? I think it's going to be an interesting one. I think it is. Uh, it's analysis that was sort of, you know, it does make sense. The analysis makes sense. The analysis made sense like two months ago, but for some reason, you know, this analysis of Matic freeing up Pogba. Like it, the media's taken like two months to catch up. It's quite frustrating because it's something that I spotted and I pointed out a while ago and made that link a while ago and it just seems like they finally caught up. But it's not... I don't think it's freeing up Pogba. I think it's I meaning... It's, it's allowing Pogba to 
play further up the pitch. I think that's the big thing. It's basically because United were so weak in defensive midfield last season in terms of actually having some physicality there and having someone there that you couldn't get around that Pogba had to come back and Pogba had to think a little bit more defensively responsible. But if you're opening it up and you've got someone like Nemanja Matic that's got great defensive work in him that can win tackles, that can bully people off the ball, you think about the clashes that he had with Yaya Torre, especially at the start of um, Matic's Premier League career at Chelsea great battles when Yaya Torre was the best central midfielder in the Premier League Yaya Torre was just so powerful it was a great battle between those two powerhouses and I think that allows Pogba it allows Herrera forward it allows the wingbacks forward and so forth but it's just this one signing that's kind of key and yeah it's not fun signing a defensive midfielder that's 28 for 40 million but it will be one of the most important signings of the summer but anyway we're going to talk about that a little bit later on Nico let's talk fullbacks Walker, Mendy and Danilo they're kind of the guys that you need you know you did mention before about how City were, you know, poor in the final third. They didn't have that width. They're going to get that from Walker. They're going to get that from Mendy. And, of course, they're going to get that from Danilo. Do you think the 3-5-2 that City have been playing, or the 3-5-1-1, as Guardiola called it, is what the City are going to play with all season? Or do you think it will be interchangeable like Manchester United, like you spoke about before? I think it's going to be interchangeable. It's multiple solutions to multiple different problems. You know, teams are going to present things differently, and you're going to have to be... You're going to be asked to create space differently. And I think... Mendy and Walker will aid in creating space both wide and I think vertically as well. We saw, I've been watching a lot of older Barcelona, you know, Pep Guardiola Barcelona, and the role that someone like Eric Albidal played and, and someone like Dani Alves, and I'm not comparing Mendy and Walker to those two fantastic players, but I think they'll play sort of, you know, similar roles. They have overlapping abilities. One of Mendy's biggest, you know, strengths last season was putting in these crosses. And I, I've seen a lot of videos, a lot of training videos of, of Guardiola's sessions at Manchester City. And there's a way, there's a specific way that he likes to structure it because they're not, they're not normal crosses. They are like clear created crosses over an overlap. And then he structures the run-ins in a way that there is a really high possibility of a Manchester City player getting on the end of a low cross. And so I think Mendy will play that extremely well. And then I think, you know, Kyle Walker will also have that ability to put in uh, some lower crosses into into that, you know, build-up. It's all about how that, you know, run-in is structured as well. But also, creating space vertically, you know, playing out of the back, having those players understand how how the build-up works at Manchester City, Aderson's ability to distribute in those ways, and then, you know, manipulating formations to allow for a certain degree of directness is also important as well. You know, accentuating the the speed of someone like Raheem Sterling and Lira Sané, that connection will be direct. I think people are going to be surprised how direct Manchester City are next season. I think both Manchester clubs are suited to playing a 3-5-2. I think they should potentially stick with that system. I think it's just it just looks best for their squad. I think defensively both teams do need three guys at the back. I don't think 1v1 they're kind of good enough yet. Any of the centre halves, I think in Vincent Company, yes, but the rest of the centre halves need players around them, I think to to get the best out of them. So it's going to be interesting to see a 3 sort of 6-1 should we call the Man City play next season but anyway let's, let's move to Manchester United United needed a lot of problem solving they needed goals from midfield they needed a defensive midfielder a centre-back they needed to replace Zlatan and of course maybe they need a bit more uh, variation in those wide areas the signings for United have been good Lindelof moving from Benfica Lukaku from Everton and Nemanja Matic from Chelsea Nico they're good signings right that solves a number of the issues you've got to replace Zlatan you've bought a centre-half and you've got a defensive midfielder yeah, I think it does solve a lot of the issues, but one thing that people shouldn't fall prey to, and I think you've spoken to this as well, is, you know, if United play the same way that they did last year, and they simply expect, you know, the supposed, ele- you know, elevation of, or or more chances finished, um, 
you know, from Lukaku, but they play in the same way. That's not going to elevate them to the to the status that they want to be in the league. It's about playing a little bit differently. It's about using those other signings. Um, and I think also being a little, Mourinho needs to be a little bit riskier in his attacking uh, in his attacking actions. I think that's the beauty of what's going on right now in, in Manchester, specifically between these two clubs, is that you have extremes of two different styles of football. You have Jose Mourinho, who I think takes, in certain situations, takes absolutely no risks uh, in his attacking actions, and it's all about defense, and it's all about sort of managing the game state and kind of luring your opponents to make stupid decisions. I think that's even part of Jose Mourinho's philosophy is that you can manipulate someone into doing what you want. And that's sort of the manipulation of game state that he's so good at. Um, And then you have the opposite of that, which is Guardiola always wants the ball. He takes a lot of risks in his attacking actions. We've seen, you know, the, the 40 yards of backspace that only two defenders are responsible for. We've seen all of these things. And maybe there's a call for him to be a little bit more defensive, defensively minded, be a little bit less risky. So I, I think the two extremes going on between the Manchesters right now is, is something that is going to be fantastic to watch. But in terms of the, si- the signings that Manchester United have made, you talk about goals from midfield. I think that's a problem that could be solved with the players that, you know, you, you had last season. You know, why isn't Henrik Mkhitaryan being used more consistently? Why isn't he being used in the ways that best accentuate his qualities? Because you have a midfielder that absolutely lit it up at Dortmund and could provide plenty of goals from midfield. So why why isn't that why isn't that happening happening under Mourinho? I think that again that's what I was gonna say is that actually United have players to score goals from midfield. I think Paul Pogba should be scoring more goals from midfield. I think Juan Mata, Martial, Henrik Mkhitaryan should all be scoring goals. I think it's the consistency, as you mentioned, you know, each one of those attacking midfielders, not Paul Pogba, didn't play over 1,750 minutes, I think, which is tiny, absolutely tiny. Thinking um, Neymar was was nearly 4,000 minutes, Eden Hazard was 3,500. I think it's the consistency that Mourinho needs to stick with these guys. And one player that's looked really good in pre-season is Henrik Mkhitaryan. Looks so good even in a 3-5-2 as a central midfielder or out wide um, in his usual position on the left or on the right. He's looked really good. And I think this is going to be Mkhitaryan's season. It just If he doesn't get injured in the first few months and he can get a role of games where he's impacting them massively, I think it's going to be you know crucial for United. I think the big players that are going to step up for United this season, Eric Bay is going to be fantastic in the back. I think Pogba, of course, in midfield. Mkhitaryan as attacker midfield. And, of course, Lukaku through the middle. But I think, do agree with you. Goals from midfield should be there. There's enough quality there. Someone like Anthony Martial that's capable of moments of brilliance we saw in the friendly against uh, Real Madrid. You the mean, skill the, you mean the deflections? The, the, the deflections, skill that he did the, the on the quick yeah. feet and how he went round Danny, uh, Danny Alves, sorry, Danny Calvajal like he wasn't there. The problem with that was, that was one moment in 90-odd minutes of action or 70 minutes of action, which isn't good enough. And that's the problem with Anthony Martial is consistency was there under Louis van Gaal in games, but it's not there under Mourinho. And that's something that Martial himself needs to work on and needs to be this effective. But one thing that would make Martial more effective is if he played in a 3-5-2 as a striker, because that gives him a lot more freedom. You know, United have looked good in a 3-5-2, but the strikers need to move a bit more. They need to come to the ball, they need to receive its feet, they need to drift out wide. They need to basically play as auxiliary forwards, you know, on each flank. And I think that's something Martial uh, will excel at because... If you picks up the ball as a striker, he could go wide, he can go inside, he could go forward. It opens up three avenues instead of having one avenue or two avenues, should we say, when he's on the left wing. He can either go down the line or he can cut in. Having that three option, you know, opens up those 1v1 situations, which he's so good at beating players 1v1. 
And again, I think for Martial's career, for Manchester United to win the Premier League, a 3-5-2 is where they've got to go. I think a 3-5-2 is mastered when you play it week in, week out. And you can play it against any system. There's a lot of differences that you've got to do. We saw how uh, Guardiola played against Real Madrid in, in the friendly. He went with that 3-5-1-1. And the pressing and the, the defensive side of it was fantastic. But United, for United and, and City to excel in this system, they need to play week in, week out. It just suits everyone. It suits Mkhitaryan playing centrally. He played fantastic against LA Galaxy. Yes, it was LA Galaxy. But it was the right thing for a central midfielder in a 3-5-2 to almost become an inside forward. You know, push yourself up. It would push Pogba up as well. The wing-backs can go forward and you've got your two strikers. It's pretty much the Monaco shape of last season that did so well. If you think about it in the reverse, um, you've got the, the two centre-halves, the defensive midfielder, that's the United back three. Then you've got Bakayoko who's pushing on a little bit, um, which would be the defensive midfielder, the two inside forwards, uh, Lamar and Silva, the two wing-backs, and of course the two strikers. So the 3-5-2 for me at the moment has the most tactical diversity, I think, of any formation um, that United could play especially. And, and with, you know, so we spoke about Zlatan before, I was joking about Barcelona. I think Zlatan will re-sign for Man United in January and will play a vital role in their quest to either win the Champions League or win the Premier League. Most ridiculous but anyway, let's, thing you've ever seen let's, let's, finish, uh, let's finish on youth players. Uh, first up, Manchester United youth players. Twin Zabie's been the player that's um, impressed me the most in pre-season. Fosu has looked very, very good at right wing-back. Again, very happy that he's, uh, you know, in and around the side. Andres Pereira's looked very, very good on the ball. Um, could do a little bit of work on the timing of his tackle got booked in a pre-season friendly which isn't great and Scott McTominay of course who uh, is six foot four, scored again a goal um, last week I don't really United were playing but he, he scored in the last pre-season friendly again needs to improve on his, his forward passing I think he's a little bit too shy on the ball at the moment but very impressive two in Zabie though absolutely fantastic especially playing as a, as a left centre back in a back three looks so good on the ball even though he's right footed incredible stuff there Nico in terms of pre-season let's finish off with the City youth prospects anyone that's sort of stepped out and uh, taken your fancy obviously Phil Foden has been pretty good on the ball off the ball not so much um, I've also been it's weird because I think there are there are a lot of players that are going to suffer from suffers the wrong word but you know not necessarily see their dreams fulfilled at City because of this change in in the style of play. I think Patrick Roberts is someone that would excel in maybe a more counter-attacking based team, but to see how he would fit in under Guardiola consistently is, I think, not something that is realistic for him, and I'd like him to, to... to maybe develop as a player more at different teams. You know, he, he was fantastic at Celtic, and though I don't think they were a counterattacking team by any chance, I think the way that they created chances was still a lot different from the way that Guardiola creates chances. So, um, you know, in terms of youth players, I am really disappointed in the fact that Alex Garcia, I haven't seen much of him, um, even though he was part of the squad last season. So, And he looks a fantastic you know, central midfield prospect and really a, a, a player in the mold of sort of a Guardiola-type signing. Um, but in terms of other youth players, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Ooh, well, that's it. That's it for you know episode one of season two of the Statman Dave Football Podcast. That's been good. I've enjoyed it. If you want to see more of Nico or find more of Nico, go on to Twitter at Nico underscore Omarales. Nico, is any word that the people of the Statman Day Football Podcast should be going checking out on your Twitter account or anything you've wrote recently? You know, the funny thing about that, Dave, is that you record a video, right? You yes. record a video with with someone. Yes. Name begins with L. Yes. You know? We won't say who. We're not into slandering <laughs> here. And you work hard Nico. on that video. 
and then <laughs> and then it never gets posted. You know what I mean? Like it's just. But you know they can still check out other things at Nico underscore Omorales. I'll be putting out some writing, uh, possibly for for some actual paid writing. So hopefully that Ooh. happens. But you know we'll see. Nice, nice. Well, anyway, thanks for joining me, Nico. Until next time, till next Wednesday, off season. We're going to do every single Wednesday. Get ready for the Sat Monday Book Podcast to return. Uh, thanks for listening. Of course, go and uh, like uh, the podcast on iTunes and, and write a little review as well to get me pumped and excited about the world. But anyway, see you later. Goodbye. Over and out. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 